Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with the schedule of English language broadcast, or it is simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, NHK World Radio Japan, Radio Havana Cuba, and France 24. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. In Italy, a court has acquitted Silvio Berlusconi of bribing witnesses in a sex scandal trial from 2013. Nicola Sturgeon announced her resignation as the Scottish First Minister. There is a controversy in the European Commission over whether to call hydrogen derived from nuclear power plants renewable energy. Many electric vehicles will soon run on hydrogen fuel cells. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Start in Italy, where a court has acquitted former Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi of bribing witnesses in a trial related to his notorious bunga bunga parties with young women. He was accused of paying guests to lie at previous trials. Allegations surrounded the parties, which Mr. Berlusconi maintains were elegant dinners, and they've dogged him for years. Scotland's First Minister Nicola Sturgeon stepping down. The Scottish National Party leader took office in November 2014, soon after an independence referendum in which Scotland voted to remain part of the UK. Sturgeon is Scotland's longest-serving leader. How green is hydrogen? That's the question the European Commission needs to resolve as it resumes talks on renewable energy targets today. At issue is whether or not hydrogen derived from nuclear power can be designated as renewable. France, heavily reliant on atomic energy, has been lobbying hard in favour of that but Germany and Spain oppose it. The French government is especially angry about this because it says it approved plans for a hydrogen pipeline between Spain and France on the basis that its hydrogen would get the renewable label. It's important because classifications of this kind can affect the eligibility for state aid. Now, the European Commission has issued a proposal to solve the problem, to find out what it is and who's happy about it. Let's bring in DW reporter Louise Osborne. Louise, welcome along. Thank you for coming. Before we get into the details, maybe you can explain to us why is this issue of how to designate hydrogen so important? Hydrogen is seen as the clean energy for the future in Europe. Um, it is something that can be burnt and the only byproduct that's left behind is water. So this would be great with regards to combating climate change. Um, the issue with it is that it's quite energy intensive to make. So obviously if the electricity being used to make it comes from renewable, it's green, it's great, <laughs> you know, we can use it. If it is coming from fossil fuels, then it makes the, the hydrogen less less clean, actually. 
Um, but there is also another option, and that is nuclear. And that is what France wants to look at for the future or to bring into the energy mix. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about why this is so controversial. I know France and Germany are on different sides of this question. What's going on there? So basically, Germany has spent the last decade trying to move itself away from nuclear, shutting down its nuclear plants actually this year. That's the plan. Um, France, however, relies quite heavily on nuclear energy. So 70% of its energy mix comes from nuclear or its electricity mix. Um, this means that uh, the the hydrogen that the France would like to be making, they want nuclear to be included in that. Um, and this is something that they are pushing for, whereas Germany is, is pushing against it. Germany has had nuclear, uh, they are moving away from it because of the issue with regards to things like Fukushima and Chernobyl and the issue of nuclear disasters. But also, you know, because nuclear actually, while it's green in some ways, and that, you know, it's not as carbon intensive as, as fossil fuels, for example, um, it also has the issue of nuclear waste being left behind. So the European Commission doesn't actually want to designate nuclear-derived hydrogen as green, um, but they are willing to say that it would be low-carbon low um, hydrogen. This would open it up to the possibility of France being allowed to, to use state subsidies and, and things like that. Um, and it is, you know, great for France, given the fact that it has such a high um, nuclear energy in its mix. Um, so this is kind of the compromise that they are reaching and um, France sees it as a bit of a win actually. Now, the European Union has incredibly ambitious climate targets. It wants to be uh, climate neutral by 2050. Would you say it is on track to achieve that goal? Well, the problem that it's had is actually that, um, like you said, it wants to be climate neutral by 2050. Gas was a huge part of moving in that direction. Um, with the war in Ukraine and Russia having cut off gas to uh, Europe, that has caused a lot of problems for the for the continent. Um, the EU then has been looking for other options, and hydrogen is a big part of that. So um, they want to move in that direction so that they can get back on track to making sure that they can meet the Paris Agreement goals to reach carbon neutrality by 2050. Louise Osborne, thank you so much for breaking it all down for us. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, and on YouTube at DW News and DW Documentary, as well as most podcast sites. Next, NHK World Radio Japan. The nuclear power industry in Japan is hiring with plans to expand in the next two years. A report on the balloons attacked in the United States airspace, including a Chinese government response and a proposed change in Japanese military limitations. The environmental catastrophe in Pakistan continues more than six months after flooding caused by a change in climate. Tax officials in India searched the offices of the BBC after a documentary critical of Prime Minister Modi led to a ban in the country. NHK Japan Japan's nuclear power industry is on a hiring spree. Companies are expecting to see growing demand since the government recently indicated that it views nuclear energy as key to a carbon-free future. 
Mitsubishi Heavy Industries intends to hike hiring numbers by 40% over a two-year period starting sometime this year. About 4,000 people work in nuclear fields at Mitsubishi Heavy and its affiliates. The number has shrunk by around 1,000 since the 2011 Fukushima nuclear accident. More than 800 employees work at IHI Corporation's nuclear power-related fields. The number is up by around 150 from two years ago. The Japanese government has adopted a plan to make maximum use of nuclear power to achieve its carbon-neutral target. This involves restarting plants that were shut down after the Fukushima disaster. Now the latest on the fallout from the discovery of a Chinese balloon over the United States. The U.S. House of Representatives adopted a resolution last week condemning China's actions. Now lawmakers in China have condemned that resolution. The House unanimously adopted the resolution on Thursday last week. It condemned what it described as China's use of a surveillance balloon as a brazen violation of sovereignty. Now the Foreign Affairs Committee of the Chinese National People's Congress says the U.S. resolution deliberately exaggerated the threat of China. Its statement reiterates China's position that the flying object was an unmanned civilian airship that entered U.S. airspace unintentionally. The statement also says the U.S. use of force against the balloon seriously violated the spirit of international law and international norms. It accuses the United States of extensive surveillance on other countries, and it urges the U.S. Congress to stop maligning China and refrain from actions that could escalate the situation. Meanwhile, Japan is considering loosening rules for its self-defense forces regarding which objects they're allowed to shoot down when its airspace is violated. The Defense Ministry revealed the proposal amid the growing number of suspected spy balloon incidents across the world. Pakistan still faces a crisis situation more than six months after its catastrophic floods. Waters have not receded in parts of the south, and cases of waterborne diseases are surging. Restoring medical infrastructure is an urgent need. Heavy rain and flooding beginning in June last year left more than 1,700 people dead, mainly in the hardest-hit province of Sindh. Local authorities say infectious diseases such as malaria and acute diarrhea are still rampant. Tens of thousands of new cases are reported every week. About 160 medical institutions in the province were flooded last year. Damaged roads hamper access to hospitals. In December, an expert from Japan's National Institute of Infectious Diseases held an online seminar for about 20 medical workers in Pakistan. In January, Pakistan and the United Nations hosted a conference in Geneva to discuss the rebuilding efforts. International donors include France, the United States, China and Japan. They pledged more than $9 billion to help Pakistan recover. Now, Indian tax officials on Tuesday searched the BBC's New Delhi and Mumbai offices. The move comes after the British public uh, broadcaster aired last month a documentary critical of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Details have not been disclosed on why and how the search was carried out. Local media report the phones of BBC employees were seized. The documentary focused uh, on Modi's role in uh, anti-Muslim violence that flared up in Gujarat in 2002. 
The riots left more than 1,000 people dead. Modi was the chief minister of the Western state at the time. His administration reacted sharply to the program, calling it a propaganda piece meant to push a discredited narrative. An official of India's main opposition, Congress Party, said the search shows the Modi government is scared of criticism. The BBC tweeted it is fully cooperating with authorities. The broadcaster said we hope to have this situation resolved as soon as possible. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 9865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites, like Apple, etc. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. The United Nations Human Rights Commissioner recommended a special police force be sent to Haiti to control gangs who are killing, raping, and stealing. Four men in Florida were arrested and charged with conspiracy in the assassination of former Haitian President Moise in 2021. Barcelona has temporarily broken ties with Israel over its policy toward Palestinians. A panel at the United Nations has called on the international community to take action to stop systematic housing demolition and forced evictions in Palestine. As many as 5 million Syrians are homeless following the earthquake. Radio Havana, Cuba. The United Nations Human Rights Chief has urged the international community to consider deploying a specialized armed force to Haiti, warning that violent gangs are creating a living nightmare for thousands of people. The appeal from UN Human Rights Commissioner Volker Turk on Friday came at the end of a two-day visit to Haiti at the request of his government which has found itself unable to control the gang's killing, raping and pillaging in a growing number of neighborhoods. Violence has packed in the impoverished country since July 2021, assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise. It is time for the international community to help the Haitian authorities regain full control of this suffering can be stopped, Turk said. He added that since multiple crises around the world are competing for attention, he feared the situation in Haiti is not receiving the urgent spotlight that it deserves. Hours later, at an Organization of American States meeting in Washington, D.C., the United States government said it was continuing to discuss with international partners the possibility of sending a multinational force composed primarily of police. Francisco Mora, the U.S. ambassador to the OAS, said that his country was still working with others to build a framework to provide security and stability for Haiti, adding that Washington would also soon implement new sanctions and visa restrictions. Mora spoke after Haiti's foreign minister, Jean-Victor Genoux, requested a specialized international force be allowed to stand with us. There is a deepening crisis in the country that cries out for humanitarian aid, he said. The plea came as the UN Integrated Office in Haiti released a 24-page report on what is described as mass incidents of murder, gang rapes, and sniper attacks in Cite Soleil, Haiti's biggest slum, located in the capital of Port-au-Prince. The findings of this report are horrifying, Turk said. It paints a picture of how people are being harassed and terrorized by criminal gangs for months without a state being able to stop it. The report said that from last July the 8th through December 31st, at least 263 people were killed and at least 57 women and girls 
were raped in just one neighborhood in Sid Soleil, known as Brooklyn. That area became ground zero for intense fighting between warring gangs. U.S. authorities have arrested and charged four people in Florida in connection to the 2021 assassination of former Haitian President Juvenal Moise. U.S. Justice Department officials announced on Tuesday charges of, quote, conspiracy to kidnap or kill outside the United States, resulting in death. This against Florida residents Antonio Tony Intriago, Archangel Pretel Ortiz, and Walter Ventimilla. A fourth subject, Frederick Bergman, is accused of conspiring to smuggle ballistic vests for former Colombian soldiers who allegedly carried out the fatal shooting. Intriago is the owner of CTU Security, a Florida-based company that allegedly helped recruit the assassins. Archangel Pretel Ortiz is also a principal representative of the firm, this according to the Justice Department. In July 2021, armed men claiming to be U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, or DEA, agents entered Moise's compound in the Haitian capital, Port-Prince, and shot him 12 times. The late former president's wife was also injured in the attack. One of the poorest countries in the world, Haiti has suffered from natural disasters, rampant gang violence, and a long-standing political deadlock made worse by the assassination. Barcelona has temporarily broken off ties with Israel over its policy towards Palestine. The Catalan capital has been twinned with Tel Aviv and Gaza for 25 years, but this relationship has been temporarily suspended. Ada Colau, the left-wing mayor of Barcelona, wrote to Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Wednesday to announce the city would suspend relations until Israel ended the systematic violation of the people of Palestine's human rights. A panel of United Nations experts has called on the international community to take action to stop systematic housing demolition, arbitrary displacement and the forced evictions of Palestinian people in the occupied West Bank. Palestine's official Wafa News Agency cited the experts as making the plea in a statement after media reports said the Israeli regime demolished 132 Palestinian structures across 38 communities in the occupied West Bank in January of 2023, a 135% increase compared to the same period in 2022. The Wafa statement said, quote, the systematic demolition of Palestinian homes, the erection of illegal Israeli settlements and the systematic denial of building permits for Palestinians in the occupied West Bank amounts to domicide. The experts reiterated their concern over the situation in the Masafa Yatta area where over 1,100 Palestinian residents remain at the imminent risk of forced eviction, arbitrary displacement and the demolition of their homes, livelihoods, water and sanitation structures. The experts also warned about Israel's regime's endorsement and escalating practice of punitive evictions and demolitions such as revoking identity documents, citizenship and residency rights and social security benefits over alleged attacks by Palestinians against Israeli settlers. According to a United Nations official, more than 5 million Syrians may be homeless after last week's devastating earthquakes that struck the country and its neighbour Turkey. Sivanka Danapala, 
the Syrian representative at the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, or the UNHCR, said on Friday, quote, As many as 5.3 million people in Syria may have been left homeless by the earthquake. That is a huge number and comes to a population already suffering mass displacement. Quote, for Syria, this is a crisis within a crisis, he added. We've had economic shocks, COVID, and now in the depths of winter with blizzards raging in the affected areas. Survivors of the magnitude 7.8 and 7.6 quakes have flocked to camps set up for people displaced by nearly 12 years of war from other parts of Syria. Many lost their homes or are too scared to return to damaged buildings. Dana Pala said the UNHCR has been rushing aid to the badly affected parts of Syria, but, quote, it's been very, very difficult. There are 6.8 million people already internally displaced in the country, and this was before the earthquake. Earlier, the United Nations also released another $25 million in emergency funding for Syria, bringing the total so far to $50 million, and Salumi said an assessment team is now on the ground and the needs are expected to well exceed that. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. There's no podcast, though. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6060 or 61.65. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon on Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a monthly supporter in Willits. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with France 24. In France, large protests and strikes continue over government plans to change their pensions. In the face of continuing nationwide protest, the Israeli President Herzog appealed to Prime Minister Netanyahu to suspend his plans to reform the judiciary. A press review on the work of an organization called Forbidden Stories, which reports on attacked journalists. France 24 The mood is almost festive with many families taking part. For the fourth time in just over three weeks, the French hit the streets to demand the government leave their pensions alone. They shouldn't take money away from the poor and from labourers who spent all their lives doing difficult physical work. It's outrageous. The reform bill that's being debated in Parliament will raise the legal retirement age from 62 to 64 and abolish some special retirement schemes. Even though the system is not currently in deficit, the government says the proposed cost-cutting measures are necessary to keep it viable. Reform of France's pension system, one of the most costly among industrial nations, was the centrepiece of President Emmanuel Macron's re-election campaign. But protesters say voters didn't give him a blank cheque. Most people didn't vote. Those who did voted against Marine Le Pen and certainly not for his program. 
he mustn't forget that democracy is to govern for the people. And now the people are saying no. Trade unions are threatening to double down on industrial action. Vowing to, quote, bring France to a standstill, they announced another general strike on the 7th of March, on top of nationwide stoppages already planned for next Thursday. A rare TV address from a figurehead designed to unite Israel. We're on the verge of constitutional and social collapse. Therefore, like Israeli presidents have done in the past, in such extreme cases, I'm refusing to remain indifferent. Turn to decision, lower the barriers, build bridges. Warning of a violent collision, President Isaac Herzog appealed to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Sunday, asking him to suspend plans to reform the country's judiciary and instead hold negotiations with the opposition. Netanyahu's coalition is due to take initial steps in implementing the reform in Parliament this Monday, with the aim of reining in a judicial system they say has too much power. However, the proposal has triggered weeks of nationwide protests and far-reaching opposition in Israeli society. Demonstrators say the changes could weaken checks and balances. The government's proposals include limiting the power of the Supreme Court to overturn laws, as well as tighter political control over the appointment of judges. The attempted overhaul comes as the Prime Minister himself stands trial on corruption and fraud charges. Critics say Netanyahu is motivated by a personal grudge and has a deep conflict of interest. The threat to journalists in India is the focus of a lot of papers this Wednesday, and that comes after a report by around 30 different media outlets led by the non-profit organization Forbidden Stories. Our press reviewer, Diptika Laurent, is here with more. Well, Aaron, uh, the Forbidden Story nonprofit aims to continue uh, the, and continue and publish the work of journalists who've uh, faced persecution in uh, their work as reporters, facing threats, facing prison, sometimes even murder. Their latest report uh, sheds light on the murder of an Indian journalist, Gauri Lankesh. She was uh, murdered in 2017 in Bangalore just as she was about to publish a report on disinformation. Her report, titled In the Age of False News, looked at the rise of these fake news websites which trafficked in rumors to spread disinformation in India. It ultimately cost her her life, and it, this is uh, the report you see on the website of Forbidden Stories. Now, Gary Lankesh was actually uh, the inspiration for um, the Forbidden uh, Stories uh, Forbidden Stories Story Killers Project, but she's sadly uh, just a part of a very large group of female journalists who routinely face persecution for their work. The Washington Post is looking at that today, uh, looking at uh, various female journalists who have faced uh, a, a persecution for their work. The Washington Post actually is part of uh, the 30 media outlets who collaborated with Forbidden Stories on this project. And the Washington Post reports that, uh, according to a 2021 report of over 700 female journalists in 215 countries, 75% of these women reported facing online abuse for their work. They're particularly susceptible to uh, death threats, rape threats, harassment, uh, verbal and online abuse, and occurring in countries uh, varied across the world from Brazil to India to Nigeria.
Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. I had hoped to have a report on Seymour Hersh's revelations about the Nord Stream pipeline explosion, but there is still silence. Check out democracynow.org from Wednesday, February 15th for an exclusive interview with the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.